Good Monday. This is Ozarks at Large for November 22nd, 2021 on your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. This hour, an architectural style at home in the Ozarks. The giraffe stone was a, was a popular way to clad buildings. You know, the material was available. The, the, there were often masons in the area that knew how to lay it up onto the walls. And there you have it, a local tradition. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us on a tour in about 20 minutes. Just ahead, a new nonprofit in northwest Arkansas is teaming up with the Museum of Native American History to offer a welcoming Thanksgiving for queer residents and allies. Governor Asa Hutchinson is pleased with an increase in the number of fully vaccinated Arkansans, though he does note the number of new cases of COVID-19 last week was an increase over the previous week. The governor tweeted yesterday that an additional 10,000 state residents became fully vaccinated in the previous seven days and that hospitalizations compared week to week fell by 30 patients. The number of new cases for the last week was a total of 1,200 more than the week before. The latest report from the Arkansas Division of Workforce Services shows the state's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate fell by three-tenths of a percentage point in October to 3.7 percent. That's compared to the national jobless rate of 4.6 percent, which fell by just two-tenths of a percent last month. The trade, transportation, and utilities sector posted the largest uptick, adding 3,500 new jobs, mainly in the warehousing and utilities subsector. Professional and business services added 2,500 new jobs, while jobs in education, manufacturing, and leisure and hospitality also experienced gains. Finance was the only major sector to post job losses, decreasing by about 100. Overall, non-farm payroll jobs in Arkansas are up by over 33,000 compared to this time last year. A first printing of the United States Constitution will be on display at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville sometime in the future. The copy will be on loan to the museum after selling for more than $43 million at an auction Friday at Sotheby's. The buyer is the CEO of the international hedge fund Citadel. Crystal Bridges will be the first museum to exhibit the document. The $43.2 million auction price set a new record for the auction price of a book or a document. The filing deadline for candidates seeking the legislative seat left vacant when Republican Lance Eads of Springdale resigned to take a job in the private sector is today. As of early this morning, four Republicans and one Democrat had officially filed to run for state Senate District 7. Party primary elections are scheduled for December 14th, with any necessary runoff set for January 11th. The special election between eventual party nominees is scheduled for February 8th, deadline to file noon today. Generating electricity with solar panels is expected to become more common in Arkansas. This week on Talk Business and Politics, the executive director of the Arkansas Advanced Energy Association, Lauren Waldrip, said the infrastructure bill signed into law by President Biden last week should increase solar energy production and use in the state. This isn't a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And as solar becomes more affordable, um, as the administration is putting in, you know, different um, requirements or goals, um, you know, we're seeing a, a significant increase. Um, and so, you know, that's certainly, again, something something that's exciting. Aldrip said advanced energy initiatives promoting energy efficiency and alternative fuels have received bipartisan support in Arkansas. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, last year, Arkansas generated over 60 times the amount of electricity from solar power than it did in 2015. 
Gas prices in Arkansas are, on average, two cents a gallon cheaper than last week. GasBuddy.com reports it as we begin. One of the busiest travel weeks of the year, the average gallon of gas in Arkansas costs $3.02. National average price, $3.39 a gallon. It's on to the Elite Eight for the Razorback soccer team. The Razorbacks notched a 3-2 win over Notre Dame last night in Fayetteville to make the program's deepest run ever in the NCAA tournament. Arkansas will now face Rutgers in the national quarterfinals. That match will be played in New Jersey. And the season is over for the John Brown University women's soccer team. JBU was shut out 2-0 Saturday by Cumberlands in the second round of the NAIA National Championship Tournament. This is Ozarks at Large. The days before Thanksgiving can be a collection of lists. Do you have all the right groceries? Have you packed all the right things? Do you have the car tuned up? Are the plane tickets confirmed? That's if you have plans. For some, the holiday can be a challenge and without plans. Cocoon Collective NWA is making sure members of the queer community and their allies that, for whatever reason, don't have a safe or welcoming place for Thanksgiving can gather at the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville. Last week, Sadie Stratton, the founder and executive director of Cocoon Collective NWA, came to our studio. She says she was led to form the nonprofit. Quite simply, it's a calling. It always has been for me. I always knew that I would work with a queer community um, in some capacity. And, you know, this had always been something that I had thought would be a someday. I'll do that right. Someday I'll create an organization and and help the community. Um, And then I started running it by my friends and and they said, why wait? Let's do it now. It's needed now. And so um, I don't have to tell you there have been, you know, record number of anti-trans bills. Uh, passed in Arkansas. And so it seemed imperative that we get going now. Um, And it literally is a a matter of life and death. So when those bills are passed, um, the community feels that as, as communication of how their society feels about them. And unless somebody else is standing up and saying something different, it's ex- it's extremely discouraging. It's incredibly discouraging. And so it feels like starting this organization is kind of in response to that. I was always going to do this, but now just seems like the right time. So I love the name. Was that you? Okay. It is. Yeah, it is. So um, I appreciate you asking because that was very intentional. Um, we do aim to provide safe spaces, resources, and advocacy for all queer teens and young adults in Northwest Arkansas, but I have a particular passion for the trans community. And so I decided to have a cocoon as a symbol of something where you are safe while you become what you're meant to be. And so a cocoon feels like a safe place to become who you really are meant to be. And, um, and we chose a moth um, in, the, in the logo. Uh, we obviously, you know, decided between, chose between butterfly and moth. And we went with moth for a couple reasons. It, it symbolizes heading towards the light and something better. 
And um, and quite frankly, uh, the queer kids we talked to said it's cooler than a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Always better to be cooler. It's, you know, at the end of the day, they're the opinion that matters most to me. So what's going to take place at MONA, the Museum of Native American History? So this is our first annual, and I'm just going to go ahead and claim that it'll happen again, our first annual Queer Friendsgiving which is going to be a safe, happy, warm, welcoming, inviting Thanksgiving dinner party for any queer people and their allies in Northwest Arkansas. And so we hope to have a place where if you don't feel that it is safe or welcoming or happy or just not happy enough to be with your family of origin, that you definitely have a place to go um, where you are loved and, and welcomed and embraced, and we can celebrate the real meaning of the holiday, which is togetherness. Thanksgiving meals usually mean a hot meal. Is that the case here? It absolutely does. Yeah, we've got all the food donated. Um, got a lot of people making turkeys, um, all the sides you would normally have, and um, desserts and wine if you're 21 and over. And so, yeah, absolutely a hot meal. Um, everything is free. And we're also providing transportation for anyone who might want it or need it. Because Mona, of course, is in Bentonville, and some people might be in Elkins or Fayetteville or someplace. Absolutely. So we will provide transportation for anyone who wants to come. Um, and it can be from anywhere, not just northwest Arkansas. Are you asking people to register so you have a head count? It would be great. Yeah, um, we would really appreciate that. You can find the registration on our Facebook and Instagram pages, Cocoon Collective NWA. It's a very simple Google Doc just to kind of give us an idea of any dietary needs and just to get a head count. What was it like? Uh, did you initiate the call to Mona? Actually, that's a really great story. Um, they have been so incredibly generous. We actually pitched this idea at Bentonville Soup. Um, if you're not familiar with Soup, it's a great event. It's a, it's a micro-funding event. So I was one of four people to present a project um, that would help improve Bentonville. And I pitched this uh, Rainbow Thanksgiving, or Queer Friendsgiving, as we're calling it. Um, and, and we won. We won the funding. And um, in my speech, I, I just mentioned that we were still looking for a place and Mona so graciously offered immediately um, for us to have it there free of charge. And they've been incredibly hospitable, um, so welcoming. They're actually going to have um, a little scavenger hunt through the museum as people come in. And I'm really mostly excited about people seeing some of the displays on um, Native American two-spirit persons. I really hope that that is encouraging and validating for our genderqueer friends. Uh, year that Cocoon Collective has been active? <laughs> no, we started in July. Wow. Yeah, and that's really a testament to the need in the community. You know, I really thought it would be a slow burn, but as soon as I got the word out about what we wanted to do, we had a great response, not just from the queer community, but from the allies who just really, really want to see um, this work done around safe spaces and resources and advocacy. Okay, so in five months... You won Bentonville Soup. You're having the Queer Friendsgiving. Um, what, what's on the agenda for the encores? 
Yeah. And in addition to those things, we actually already got a physical headquarters in Fayetteville, which we weren't expecting. But um, we took over what was formerly Backspace, which some of our community will know about. Um, that was a do-it-yourself sort of art space. Yeah, yeah, it was. And so it has a really great history. We love to continue that. Um, we've got some renovations we're going to do, but we're so happy to be headquartered here in Fayetteville um, at Trailside Villages. And so next on the docket is getting that renovation done and having that be kind of our own official safe space for the queer community. Um, We also have in the works um, some queer affirming sex education classes, um, a partnership with the Fayetteville Public Library to do a lot of these events. And then also the thing I'm most excited about is that we're going to be working with um, the University of Arkansas Law School to conduct transition clinics. So um, legal name change clinics for um, our transgender friends who would like to have their legal documents changed um, to their preferred name and their preferred gender. And so um, we are really looking forward to, in 2022, um, doing several of those transition clinics. It's great that you're in Northwest Arkansas and you can serve Northwest Arkansas. And I know that there uh, is a queer Friendsgiving in Seattle and other places. But do you think about the places that are too far away for someone who's 14 or 15 or 22? They're in, I'm just throwing these names out there, like Yellville or, you know, Camden or someplace. I mean, they don't have access to something like this. And they don't have the protection of a a collective. They don't. And um, I think about them actually all day, every day. Uh, Our goal here, you know, it's always the short game and the long game. So my goal is to have a program that is repeatable. And so to really have kind of a a pilot program here of how do you create community support and safe spaces and how do you really work on preventing suicide, depression, homelessness is a major issue in this community. Um, I would like to do it so well that we're asked to help people do it other places. So I would like to travel someday and help people set up more of these. Um, One of our goals, our five-year goal, is to have a physical shelter here in Northwest Arkansas for teens and young adults experiencing homelessness due to their sexual orientation or their gender identity. And, And we really hope that we can repeat that process and help other communities or um, establish some sort of mode or a protocol for those kids to get here. Um, If we need to go get them or if we need to connect them with their closest place, um, you know, I will spend the rest of my life figuring out how to help every one of these teens and young adults that I can. So if you've got ideas, I will do it. You, You mentioned at the beginning that this is a calling and that often suggests someone of faith. And I'm wondering if faith has played a role in in your current uh, endeavor. Yeah, I really appreciate that question. I usually don't come forward with that information within the queer community at first because there has been so much damage and trauma done um, in the name of Christianity. But I actually am in seminary right now. Um, I am at Iliff School of Theology in Denver, which is a very progressive um, theological school, uh, very social justice minded. And so I'm actually getting an MDiv 
a Master of Divinity with a concentration in gender and sexuality. And so my goal upon graduation is to work for the church with the LGBTQ community in a part-time way because I want to continue to do this work um, for most of my time. Um, But yeah, that is my small way of starting to shift the narrative around faith and acceptance and embracing of our queer friends. So I'm doing what I can to start um, blending those two worlds the way that they always should have been blended. Sadie Stratton is the founder and executive director of Cocoon Collective NWA. Sadie came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio last week. You can learn more about the organization and this week's Thanksgiving gathering at the organization's Instagram feed or at cocooncollective.org. At KUAF, we love how our listeners are helping their neighbors each and every day. And we love letting you know about who is needing that help. Through the Community Spotlight series, you've heard from so many nonprofit organizations every morning. Here's a bit of discussion with Jessica Andrews with Seven Hills Homeless Shelter. We're getting that time of year where I know that coats, jackets, blankets are needed by you guys. Are, do you have any specifics that that you really need to see from uh, donations right now? Absolutely. It is about to get cold and we are right in the middle of our cold weather planning. Large jacket, tennis shoes, blanket, socks. Socks are really important because they can get wet and we need to give them out very frequently. Um, and towels are all pretty big needs right now. And as always, shelf-stable food is a huge need for us. Jessica Andrews with Seven Hills Homeless Shelter. Leading up to Giving Tuesday, November 30th, we'll be revisiting moments when your help made a big difference in your community in the past year. KUAF Public Radio, Local Matters. The Amazium continues to collect bikes for donation to Pedal It Forward NWA. New or gently used bicycles for both youths and adults can be dropped off at the Scott Family Amazium during normal operating hours, 10 to 4, through Wednesday. The Amazium is closed tomorrow, but will be accepting bike donations. The Amazium, in keeping with this theme, currently is hosting the exhibit Gear Up! The Science of Bikes. Speaking of bikes, Fayetteville is hosting the Cyclocross World Championships in late January. Tickets are now on sale. More information at cyclocrossfayetteville2022.com. Cycling is a big deal this time of year to our west. Tulsa is hosting the 2021 USA BMX Grand Nationals Wednesday through Sunday. It's a Thanksgiving week tradition in the city for nearly a quarter century. Professional BMX racers from all over the world and North America's fastest amateur riders will compete throughout the weekend with the Pro Championship Final on Friday night. Full schedule and more details at usabmx.com. And yes, this is Thanksgiving week in Arkansas. It's officially Arkansas Turkey Week. Governor Asa Hutchinson and the Arkansas Department of Agriculture will make a formal declaration in observance of contributions to the state by turkey producers tomorrow on the steps of the state capitol. Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program offers free, confidential, unbiased advice for those receiving or about to receive Medicare and the Part D drug plan. Open enrollment runs through December 7th. ARSHIP can help individuals make the correct decision about their health care needs, including the Part D drug plan. Help and information is available at 1-800-224-6330. That's one 800 2246330 This is Ozarks at Large. There are giraffes in the Ozarks. No, not the giant, leggy, long-necked, tawny-spotted creatures 
We're talking about a little-known early 20th century native stone masonry style. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us to several giraffe houses, accompanied by University of Arkansas architecture professor Greg Herman. Greg Herman takes a seat on his porch swing this warm autumnal morning at his family home tucked into a forested neighborhood near Wilson Park. I live in a giraffe house, and we've been in this house for over 20 years. And I I have to confess, when I first moved to this area, I'm from the northeastern quadrant of the United States. Uh, um, I was a little maybe put off by the giraffe houses. Giraffe houses, modest bungalows covered in colorful slabs of split native flagstone were first constructed mainly on the Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas Ozarks beginning in the 1910s. And as a sort of testament, giraffe houses continue to stand, mostly unnoticed. It's unfamiliar. It was very unfamiliar and uh, um, has kind of a folk quality to it that... uh, I didn't expect to see here. Um, the rock in this particular house where we live uh, has very much of an orange color to it, as do many of the, the rock houses here in the neighborhood in Wilson Park. And uh, for that reason, we're pretty sure that the stone was, was quarried locally. A giraffe's cream-colored pelt is covered with large golden orange-brown irregular spots. And so are giraffe houses, but in this case, spots are irregular-shaped pieces of sandstone. Herman's giraffe house, built 1930, is solid. The bottom sandstone slabs sit perpendicular to a rock foundation, mortared upward onto hollow terracotta blocks, not wood framing. And the interior walls are plaster, not sheetrock. So it's a, it's a monolithic construction. When it's added to a frame structure, uh, there's a lot more give when the houses move. Giraffe houses bear no resemblance to solid-cut limestone or other native stacked rock facades. It does have a decorative effect, no doubt about that. But um, a house needs cladding on the exterior. Uh, If it's wood siding or if it's brick or if it's stone, or in this case, giraffe stone. Now, because it's turned on edge as opposed to laying on flat horizontally, it's turned on edge vertically. Uh, It doesn't have the the structural and and the way it's laid up, right? The joints are, are random. Uh, and the rocks are random, so it doesn't, it doesn't hold up the walls, it clads the walls. Certain residential and public giraffe-style architecture has been documented in southern Missouri and eastern Oklahoma. Tahlequah, Oklahoma, has giraffe bridges, public school facilities, as well as an old armory. Herman says giraffe structures were widely built in the 1930s under the New Deal and Works Progress Administration and can be found in places like Devilston State Park. The giraffe stone was a, was a popular way to clad buildings. You know, the material was available. The, the, there were often masons in the area that knew how to lay it up onto the walls. And there you have it, a local tradition. Giraffe houses first appeared in 1910, according to an archive news report after a Missouri Agricultural Extension Bulletin described the native stone construction method as economical and sturdy, not to mention that flagstone was cheap and plentiful, mined on the Ozarks Plateau, composed of colorful grains of sand over eons pressed into sedimentary rock. 
early 20th century builder Silas Owens, an African-American stonemason, carpenter, and farmer originally from Faulkner County, popularized and perfected what today is referred to as mixed masonry in central Arkansas, where he's recognized today for using giraffe stonework, cream brick, and sandstone on an array of craftsmen, English revival, and ranch-style homes. Who was based in Little Rock? Uh, who is responsible for making the, the style popular down there. He, he, his, his works are notable for their use of brick in the window and door surrounds. So uh, buildings by Silas Owens are pretty recognizable down um, in, the, in the center of the state. We found several examples of this hybrid giraffe architecture about a mile east beneath two towering pecan trees along old Highway 45. And that looks like it's probably limestone, but that might be sandstone also. And then it has the, the brick trim in the pattern we call coins, Q-U-O-I-N-S, uh, around the doors and windows, which, uh, again, is, is a little bit of local embellishment. And you can see the, the pattern between the doors. So it looks like the builder had a little bit of fun with this one. The giraffe rock is perfectly puzzled into the brickwork. Sometimes uh, builders of, of giraffe houses will save special rocks that have, oh, maybe it has some fossil imprints on it or, or it's uh, uh, a little bit different colored than some of the other rocks. They'll save them for, by, for a placement by the entry door uh, so that it gives a little bit more interest to, to, or celebration for the entry of the building. Giraffe house mortar joints vary from rounded to flat. Some stonemasons chose to paint the mortar various colors, including black. We found three such examples of giraffe styles in South Fayetteville. You know, people want to uh, decorate their houses, right? And, and these houses don't have a whole lot of trim, and the mortar joints are particularly wide, and there seems to be a kind of a, a subgroup of people who think it will... Who like to embellish and, and want the, the uh, joints to look even more prominent, and, and painting them certainly does that. One thing I'm noticing about these that I don't see usually in the giraffe houses is the, the, the rocks in these are particularly large. Traditional giraffe houses, Herman says, appear to be an Ozarks novelty. So it, it's a legitimate regional vernacular. I don't know that it's endemic uh, exclusively to the Ozarks. We can demonstrate that it's not, but it's certainly proliferated here in the Ozarks. Herman says giraffe masonry, once ridiculed possibly because it was widely used for low-income construction, is gaining attention. I had previously understood the term giraffe stone to be a, a derisive uh, comment, but uh, uh, I, I think people have taken ownership of it and rather like the term now. So, uh, But there, you know, it, it's been used in recent buildings as well. If you go to Butterfield Trail Village out on Joyce Boulevard, uh, the buildings there are clad uh, largely in giraffe stone. Uh, so there's a modern example of it. And now giraffe masonry is undergoing a 21st century revival spotted in various new developments in northwest Arkansas. Architectural renderings by Marlon Blackwell and Associates of the Whole Health Institute, a project of Walmart heiress Alice Walton to be constructed on the grounds of Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, reveal giraffe retaining walls embellished with white mortar. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. A reminder, you can always share anything you hear on Ozarks at Large through email or social media. Just go to ozarksatlarge.com. You'll find links associated with every story and interview that allow you to share. 
ozarksatlarge.com. The Kansas City-based Opus 76 Quartet will be in Joplin for a pair of performances Saturday, December 4th. The shows will be at the Joplin Public Library and include a 45-minute set aimed at very young patrons. The Baca by Baby at 10 that morning will include classical selections just for children. Then at 2 that afternoon, a one-hour performance of classical and contemporary quartet works. This is the Opus 76 Quartet performing live on their CD, Beethoven, The Early Quartets. events featuring the Opus 76 Quartet are free and will be held in the community room at the Joplin Public Library on Saturday, December 4th. Mass will be required for all patrons aged two and older. Pro Musica and Post Art Library are co-presenters of the performances. CTE, a degenerative brain condition, has been found in the brains of hundreds of pro athletes, but many ordinary people believe they have it too. You go to get help. And when you find out there's no medicine to really help you, we can't diagnose you, there's no drug we can give you, you hear there's nothing they can do, you go insane. The thriving market of dubious CTE remedies, this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered today from 3 to 6 on KUAF. And you can hear KUAF anywhere with the KUAF app. Ahead, archival archives. We reach back for a previous visit with Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center of Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We'll listen again to Pryor Center archives about the former amusement park, Dog Patch. That's just ahead. Congratulations to area runners who completed yesterday's Little Rock Marathon. Drake Brashears of Rogers finished seventh overall and was the sixth fastest man in the race. Oscar Diaz of Bella Vista finished as the ninth fastest in the men's race. Rena Ryan of Springdale was the sixth woman to cross the finish line. Both Razorback basketball teams are playing tonight. The women are hosting SMU in Bud Walton Arena, while the men face Kansas State in the first round of the Hall of Fame Classic in Kansas City. The tournament continues tomorrow night. Arkansas's volleyball team has finished with its home regular season after dropping a pair of matches to Mississippi State this weekend in Barnhill Arena. Arkansas now 18-10 overall, 9-8 in the SEC. The regular season for the Arkansas volleyball team ends Friday night at South Carolina. Arkansas PBS again this year will provide live coverage of the state football championships. The first state championship is Friday night, December 3rd. The other five are spread across the weekend approaching and the one after that. All games will be in Little Rock. Speaking of football, the Arkansas Razorback football team still in the Associated Press top 25 despite a loss at Alabama on Saturday. Arkansas comes in this week at number 25. This is KUAF. What's your favorite Thanksgiving memory? Hi, I'm Daniel Carruth. 
the Morning Edition host for KUAF, and my Thanksgiving memory is from when I visited my sister in D.C., and we had Thanksgiving dinner with her co-worker from Germany and her family, and then a group of other people from mostly different countries. And the dish that we decided to bring was a family tradition of ours called Coca-Cola salad, which is in no way a salad, but it does absolutely contain Coca-Cola along with cream cheese and black cherry jello. And most people were rightly concerned by what is a really revolting like purple and cream colored dish, but they did all end up trying some of it. And now people in four or five different countries across the world believe that Coca-Cola salad is an American Thanksgiving tradition. And that really just makes me laugh. So now it's your turn. Tell us what your favorite Thanksgiving memory is using the KUAF app for iPhone. Click the Connects tab at the bottom of the screen, fill in your data, and leave a message. Or call the Connects line. That's 479-575-6577. 575-6577. And from all of us at KUAF, Happy Thanksgiving. This is a Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. And this Monday, like most, we're going to spend some time with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Unlike most Mondays, this isn't a new conversation, but one that we had last year. We now have plans to make this into into something that, that, uh, uh, that we can stand right up against Disneyland and be proud of. It's okay if you don't recognize that voice. We're going to explain who that is in a minute. It is Monday, so it is our chance once again to hear some archives from Arkansas's history from the KATV News Studios that are being digitized by the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy Dixon is with the Pryor Center, and as he does most Mondays, he's joining me by the phone from his home. Randy, welcome back to Ozarks at Large. Thank you, Kyle. Good to be here. All right. Let's explain who we just heard to start this segment. Okay. That was Al Cap, And I think a lot of people may not know who Al Cap was, but he did a comic strip that for 43 years was hugely popular. It was a nationally syndicated comic strip called Little Abner. And, and it took place in the... I guess the Ozark Mountains, and they were a bunch of hillbillies, and they lived in a place called Dog Patch, USA. And this was not just a comic strip. At its height, it was a multimedia platform. It was a Broadway musical. It became a Technicolor movie. Um, it became a series of books that were collected comic strips. It was part of the popular culture conversation of its day. To the point that... Um, Al Cap was approached constantly uh, about franchising and different ideas uh, about his comic strip. And he was approached about an amusement park Hmm. to be built in Arkansas between Harrison and Jasper. Uh, I I think... A great deal of credit must be given to the uh, people in Harrison who, uh, under the name of Recreational Enterprises, uh, realized what seemed to me uh, the, the, uh, a, a sort of vague dream of bringing Dogpatch to life, and they, they, they began it. They began it, and, and, and 
the first season indicated that they had something there that, that people enjoyed, that I, I was proud of, and, and but something that needed a great deal more. It was it was it showed enough success in its first season to indicate that this might be one of the great tourist spots in America, and that's where Jess Odom came in with a lot of energy, talent, and money. And uh, uh, we now have plans to make this into into something that that, uh, that we can stand right up against Disneyland and be proud of. He partnered with uh, a real estate investor from Central Arkansas named Jess Odom. And you may not know that name either, but if you're f familiar with central Arkansas, one of the large suburbs of Little Rock is Maumelle. And he developed uh, the community of, of Maumelle. So he was a multi-million dollar real estate investor, and he was brought on uh, into the project. To, to go with all of this, and, and we should point out, there were some people in Arkansas who'd been trying to fight back against the hillbilly image that was portrayed in Dogpatch and though not necessarily said in Arkansas, the clampets of Beverly Hillbillies. There have been some people that were trying to fight back against that, so they weren't 100% pleased that Dogpatch was going to set up shop in the Ozarks. And then add on to that another symbol of Arkansas that not everybody was 100% behind. And what would that be? Orville Favis. <laughs> yes. So they they uh, had the groundbreaking in 67, opened in 68, and shortly after the opening, uh, Jess Odom announced that uh, former Governor Orville Favis would be hired on as the president and general manager and would run the park. Governor Favis and I worked out an agreement whereby... He will come uh, with uh, Dog Patch, and he will head up our organization up there as president of Dog Patch USA. I personally think that this is going to be a great boost to our operations at Dog Patch, and as I have reported to the news media before, uh, this is going to be uh, a recreation that certainly is going to add a great deal to the state of Arkansas as far as recreation and an industry. Uh, possibly the top industry as far as drawing money outside the state into the state of Arkansas. You've got the former governor who became national headlines a decade and a half or so previously for standing against the National Guard for to, to preserve segregation. He's going to be the president where do we go from there? And so, well, um, he took the opportunity to, to speak at the same news conference with Jess Odom. And Orville Faubus sort of looked at running the park as running the state and was looking at the importance of tourism as a business. I have a great faith in the development of tourism as an industry for Arkansas, which can help all of the people of the state, help the economy, and help to solve uh, some of the financial problems of state government. You know, there's an old saying that you can't get blood out of a turnip. Well, we know that we can't get enough revenue uh, 
to provide all the services in state government and, and in other fields that we need or would like to have until we have an economy that will produce it. And I think one of the greatest potentials for growth of the economy is in the tourist industry. We're talking about Dog Patch this week and its creation on the county line of Newton and Boone counties in the deep Arkansas Ozarks. Orville Fabus becomes the president. And it kind of took off for a while, didn't it? Oh, it did. They had thousands and thousands of, of visitors. Um, you know, they reported that um, in the first year of operation, there were 300,000 visitors. Um, driving on the road today, leading into there, that I, I can't imagine what the traffic would have been like um, going in there. But... Um, after about a year, uh, news director, KTV news director Jim Pitcock, uh, traveled up to the park just to check in with the governor, President Baubus, <laughs> to kind of see how things are going. But here we have, as you've already seen, as you looked about the place today, the natural scenery, the falls, the trout hatchery, which is self-sufficient in itself, and all we have to do is build and fit our facilities for entertainment, the shops, the atmosphere, into what we already have, and I think this has the greatest potential of any facility of its kind in the United States. Are you happy doing this kind of work? Yes, I am, because I'm still working with people, and uh, I think nearly everyone likes to feel he's making a contribution to his state and the people among whom he lives. And this facility, properly developed and properly managed, can be one of the greatest assets, not only for Arkansas, but the whole uh, Ozark and uh, South Central region. I've heard some people say that uh, you yourself are actually a bigger tourist attraction than Dogpatch. Well, I doubt that. A public figure loses his glamour after his name's out of uh, print for, uh, you know, a few months or a few years. Uh, public figures come and go. But this facility, Dog Patch, properly developed, won't come and go. It'll be here, and I think that its fame and its attraction will continue to grow. So I think that's where uh, this facility, Dog Patch USA, would far exceed me as any sort of a tourist attraction. Yes, uh, we have the scenery. We have the historical uh, background and uh, culture, as it's uh, called. But what we haven't done up to now is to develop a well-rounded recreational area for the tourist. Sure, they like to come and ride and look at the mountains, but after they've looked a while, they want to do something else. They go on the lakes and fish and boat. When they get tired of that, they want to do something else. So Dogpatch USA and facilities of this kind can complement what we already have until we can bring the tourists here and keep them not for a week, but two or three weeks or a month in the Ozark region and something new and different to see all the time. And this is what it'll take to make this, which it can and will become, one of the greatest tourist centers in the world, the Ozark region. Of those 300,000 or so purported visitors, I was more than one of them. Um, oh, I was too. I, I went there as a kid. And my first grade class went, my second grade class went, my third grade class went, and we loved it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being from Little Rock, uh, 
uh, like I was, I mean, it was definitely a destination location. That's the only thing. If you weren't from the area, it was kind of tough to get there. And, um, you, you had to be wanting to go there and that, and that, you know, the bottom line, I think was one of the problems, you know, it looked like it was going to be very successful, but, you know, this was the early seventies. And so there were events of the seventies that, you know, were, were problems, uh, for Jess Odom and what he had intended, you know, attendance figures were down and, um, he, uh, well, he, he addressed the problems with the roads getting there. Like I was saying earlier that it's just kind of tough to get there. These roads are getting better. It's not a four-lane highway. In places, they've got some three-lane traffic now on 65. This is improving greatly, and I think the only thing that's going to make our roads uh, improve for most part will be the fact that there is heavy traffic in the area. You take with uh, the Folk Cultural Center, which is a $3.5 million project that's being worked on right now, with uh, Blanchard Caverns, I think is supposed to open in 1973, uh, with our dams, with uh, 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 Eureka Springs, the Passion Play. There's many, many things to do in this general area, and more, more people are coming in to the state in this area for, for leisure time than ever. This is increasing every year. He makes a point there because the, the Folk Center, as we discussed a few weeks back, it's getting built. Uh, the Passion yep. Play at that point is attracting quite a few people, far more than I think it does today. So there mm-hmm. was and the, the caverns and the caverns were going to be new and they were attracting people. So there was this idea that there could be this sort of Boone, Newton, uh, Stone, Baxter, Fulton County sort of attraction. You'd come from for one and go to all. Of course, the, ga- the, the, the gasoline crisis didn't help in the 1970s, did it? Exactly. And interest rates, because that's what really got... Odom into trouble because he, his idea was to attract people not just during the spring and summer months, but year round. Mm. And so he expanded and opened a ski resort of all things uh, called Marble Falls, which was the original name of the town there before it was changed to Dog Patch. But it was a ski resort with fake snow. Yeah manufactured snow and uh, a convention center. It was a big complex. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 1973, he, he opened that, and uh, he talks about it here up in the lodge. After my first summer in Dogpatch, 1969, well, before the summer was over, I knew that I needed to go into something more than just a three-month operation in order for this to be a successful area here. So I commenced planning at that time, and I visited, uh, began to visit uh, slopes, ski slopes, ice skating rinks where they had them, and, uh, and uh, various facilities. I uh, got the idea of a convention center working along with it and uh, uh, trying to put it all together. We feel like that we'll have people the year round. I might mention right now that for 1974, which is next year, we expect to have over a million people to come to Dog Patch and Marble Falls both. And it started off okay, yeah, but, you know, to pile on, 
there were some mild winters in the early 70s. Hmm. So they had problems, you know, with with the snow cannons and the slopes uh, didn't quite get, you know, the uh, the needed skiing surface uh, that was needed. And then, you know, of course, you, like you mentioned, the, the gas shortage was, was keeping people home. So the finances just worsened. And what little money Dogpatch was making uh, was sucked up by a the losses of Marble Falls. But now, you know, in the news, which is the reason we're doing this, it's, it's been bought um, by Johnny Morris, who has had a pretty good record with the Bass Pro Shops. And he also owns Big Cedar Lodge. But, you know, I went up there and actually had breakfast this morning uh, in Jasper at the Ozark Cafe and just wanted to get, you know, the impressions uh, from some of the residents, and they're just as excited as could be. Our waitress, Jessica, said, you know, she's lived there most of her life, and uh, she remembered the park and what it did for the community, and then uh, Angel the Lines, who was there, and her father owns the restaurant, um, has lived there all of her life. She's, you know, a lifelong resident of the Jasper area. And, um, she remembers how, how helpful financially the park was. So they're really excited. And I went, I actually went on the property, not exactly the property because it is closed off with a lot of construction going on, but I pulled into the old parking lot and the only thing there is, the Marble Falls post office, which is actually a one person post office. But I talked to Alma who was in there and she said that within the first week that, uh, Johnny Morris had bought the place that there, there was work going on. And I saw, you know, big trucks hauling dirt and, um, a lot of construction crews in there, so they're they're working hard to, to get something together. All right. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. You can find things about dog patch and politics and all sorts of Arkansas subjects by Googling the Pryor Center. Randy, as always, thank you for your time and for your archives. It's great to be here. I'll see you next week. And this week's visit with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History was a rebroadcast from a prior edition of our show. Randy will have new collections of archives from the Pryor Center to share with us throughout the rest of 2021. This is Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a Northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being, offering apartments to village homes, plus a daily calendar of activities and events. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the debut novel from Matt McGowan, 1971, takes place in rural Missouri as the world near and far 
is changing. Also, I was stuck on this idea of the the hills, the Ozarks, my home, and this um, this idea of young people moving. I think, as I mentioned in the book, with Joe, their adult son, there's a lot of young people on the move, he says, and there, and there were at that time. Matt McGowan talks to us about his novel, 1971, on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m. You can also listen by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large podcast, which is available through all major podcast channels. I'm Robin Young. Should organs from COVID patients who test negative but die from long COVID complications be used for transplant? The husband of one patient says no, it's not safe. But those in the field say it may be worth it for recipients. Their life expectancy can be down to a matter of days. And the decision to accept or not accept an organ really is extremely important. Next time, here and now. Here and now, just ahead on KUAF, 91.3, beginning at 1. You can listen to us online as well at KUAF.com. And we have a few more items for you before we leave for this Monday. Coleman Warren is many things. He's the president of the Associated Student Government at the University of Arkansas. He's a senior with a double major in industrial engineering and political science. He's a native of Farmington. And he is one of 32 Americans chosen as a 2022 Rhodes Scholar. The list of the scholars for the new academic year was released this morning. Warren is the first University of Arkansas student to be named a Rhodes Scholar in more than 20 years. He's the 11th in school history. Arkansas-based Simmons' first national corporation, the parent company of Simmons Bank, is agreeing to purchase Spirit of Texas Bank shares for $581 million. Simmons is based in Pine Bluff. Spirit of Texas Bank shares has headquarters in Conroe, Texas. When approved, Simmons' assets will exceed $28 billion and have almost 250 branches in six states. And downtown Springdale will host Christmas on the Creek this Saturday from noon until 8 p.m. There will be music. There will be a hot cocoa crawl. There will be something called Cycling Santas. And, of course, it all wraps up with the Christmas parade hosted by the Rodeo of the Ozarks. More details about Saturday's events at downtownspringdale.org. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Rudy. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Timothy Dennis produced today's show inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Additional content for our show today provided by the newsroom at KUAR. KUAR is public radio in Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm Kyle Kellums. Talk again soon.